0: This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery,
1: the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Discovery, the show for podcast creators and listeners. I'm Cal Steiger, your host. Today we return to a series we've featured before, Ideas of Order. This series is funded by California Closets and features Jeremiah Brandt, who together with some famous friends is speaking about the power of home, the mental nourishment of living in the here and now, and the power of the spaces we inhabit in shaping who we become. Jeremiah Brandt is an interior designer, television personality and founder of Jeremiah Brandt Design, an interior design firm with locations in Los Angeles and New York City. Named to Architectural Digest's and 100 list as a leading design talent, the Central California native first honored his forward-thinking yet elegantly timeless artistry through furniture design. His guest today is Rachel Zoe, designer, curator, founder, and aesthetic powerhouse. Together they discuss the inspiring effects of physical beauty, the beauty of intentional design, and the power of formal introductions in the saplings of new love. Here is Episode 3 from Ideas of Order.
2: I knew I had to be around really interesting people, and I needed to see beautiful things. It changed my entire way that I wanted to live. It was like walking into a dream.
0: Welcome to the Ideas of Order podcast, designed by California Closets. This is a show dedicated to answering the question, what does home mean to you? I'm Jeremiah Brent, and with the help of some of my closest friends, we are ready to open our doors to you. It's always funny to me how moments of change feel so much bigger in hindsight than they do in the moment. Our simple yeses and these unintentional instincts craft our lives in the most beautiful way. I remember saying yes when asked to design a space for the first time, regardless, honestly, of my lack of experience. And now that I've owned my own design firm for 11 years, I remember like yesterday saying yes when Nate asked me on our first date, completely unsure if we'd have anything in common, and now we have two beautiful children. In the end, it's really these simple moments and these decisions that can really bring us to the cusp of transformative change. Here's to finding the beauty in uncertainty. Today's guest is someone of culture. Committed to empowering women to live a life of style, our guest today has revolutionized the meaning of glamour with both power and precision. She's a founder, she's a curator, author, editor, designer, podcaster, TV personality, entrepreneur, and pop cultural icon. You guys join me in welcoming one of the most astoundingly talented and effortlessly chic women I know, and a dear friend of mine, Rachel Zoe. (laughs)
2: Hi.
0: As someone who's taught me so much so early on in my career, I wanted to start us off by discussing, you know, the curatorial evolution of Rachel Zoe. As you were developing, you know, this keen sensibility of your brand and namesake, were there any particular spaces that really helped shape the future of your company and what it would become? When I say spaces, I mean, I don't obviously just mean homes or physical rooms. It can be communities, perspectives, sentiments, objects. As you moved through your early career, is there a space that you felt the most held?
2: You know, I started my career with the fear that I wasn't going to be able to work in a professional life because I wanted to work hard. I always really wanted to work hard from the age of 16, but yet I knew I didn't want to sit at a desk all day. I knew that wasn't for me. I knew I had to be around really interesting people because that's what stimulated me the most. And I needed to see beautiful things. Now, at the time, I didn't know what that meant because there wasn't oh, you want to be a stylist? Like, if I ever said that, first of all, I didn't know what that was. And second of all, if I said that, probably would have said, oh, you cut hair, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. And that's
2: what everyone did say for the first like five, 10 years of my life outside of the fashion industry. If I talked to anyone and said I'm a stylist, they would say, oh, what kind of hair do you do? So I think for me, being in beautiful, in the literal sense, spaces definitely inspired me. And I think to your point, to go like, even psychologically for me i'm so influenced by the room and my surroundings and that's actually been one of the biggest things in my life i need to be in a space that i'm like like i can breathe and i feel good and if it's not calming and if it's not serene and it's not pretty honestly it doesn't even have to be expensive. It's just sort of like, it has to have that feeling, right? You're one
0: of the first people I ever met that had a real purity around their aesthetic and what brought them joy. The way you dress is also the way you like to live. And that was so profound for me to learn because through, you know, working with you, obviously I see your perspective and your aesthetic, but also just the way you want to live. A lot of those same rules applied. And where, where did that start for you?
2: My first memory, honestly, is like being in my mother's closet. And my mom, you know my mom. I love her. My mother has always had incredible taste. I come from a really glamorous mom. And my dad, although not as sort of outwardly in your face, my dad has always had extraordinary taste. And I grew up with, without knowing it, I grew up in a house filled with incredible modern art from Keith Haring, Frank Stella, and Mark Tansey, and all of that. But more importantly... The furniture, which I didn't know then, I was on a BB couch watching cartoons. I was had a Milo Bowman coffee table that I like threw my cereal on, that my dad was waiting up for me to come home really late at night in an Eames chair drinking cognac. I did not know that then. I just thought my parents were like, I thought they were just so different because I grew up in a town. Very similar to like the Palisades or Brentwood. It was very traditional and people were very traditional. Like the homes were very traditional. So my house was different. We had that mid-century 70s furniture. And what I want to say about that, and I think I texted you the picture recently saying, look what my parents gave me and I made them not sell it on First Dibs, that like Mario Bellini set.
0: Yes, it's the um, Scarpa.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's the Scarpa, right? Which
0: by the way, you can't get them anymore. And you just were handed it to it. All I got from my parents is debt. So I love that for you. <laughs> it's just great.
2: But yeah, I didn't realize it then. I honestly didn't realize it. And then when I realized it, you know, much later in life, I said, I want these. And what's so funny is they just now, like a hundred years later came into my home because I didn't want my kids jumping all over them like trampolines. And, um, because, because I look at them every day and I, not to sound like you, but like I get teary because I grew up with those in my living room and it's surreal, honestly. And now I have them in my living room. So it's, I think that's like the evolution of furniture and why I still stand by. I think telling people like it's worth it with furniture and home to like invest in those pieces you literally will keep forever.
0: Yeah. There can be a real poetry to the way you live your life if you invest and look at things the right way. And is there a, one particular room or whether it was a dorm or your first apartment or your first bedroom, is there a space that you'll always remember being like your first love, like one room or one place?
2: So Ian Schrager, when he first did the Delano in Miami And I was going to South Beach to do all the photo shoots with like literally, I think back in the Gianni Versace days and the days of the best. I remember the first time I walked into the lobby of the Delano and it changed my entire way that I wanted to live. Mm. Because it was like walking into a dream and it was like nothing that anybody had done. And I had this very split personality the same way I do with fashion. I love walking into the Ritz or the Maurice in Paris, and those that ornate and that beautiful, like Parisian architecture and that feeling of opulence. And then I really fell forward and I said, this is it. Our dream home has to look like this. Like our loft has to look like this. And we were living in New York at the time and we had just got a loft and it really informed the aesthetic, how we wanted to live. And I realized whatever it was, I wanted to make it feel like I was living in a dream. So I wanted those white curtains. I wanted scrims dividing rooms. I wanted the dark wood floors. I wanted the white everything. I wanted Carrera marble, but it then informed exactly how we did our New York loft from a Christian Leog bench to a Philip Stark table and couch that now sits like in our family room. It's crazy. So we still have every single piece.
0: Fast forward to now, mom of two, what does home look like now? Because I know you haven't sacrificed glamour.
2: I didn't change it at all. Like, literally, I didn't change it all. I still have everything that you found for me, with the exception of, like, one couch that just got so destroyed by my children that it had to go. I still have what you, the beautiful pieces that you got me in my office, that I'm staring at right now, my Mario Bellini couch. And in my bedroom sits the two big Mario Bellini chairs that you recovered. The thing is, I only really buy what I absolutely love, right? And I think those things, it's funny to your point, similar with fashion, the same way with handbags, right? Like jewelry, I, I love what I love. It really doesn't change. There's nothing in my house that I would look at and be like, ugh, like get that out of here now. I, w- I wouldn't. And um, I still keep the really mean pieces very classic. You know, I don't treat them preciously, although I will say- the ones my parents just gave me that we were just talking about, I do treat preciously. I don't let my kids near them. They're like in the door, they're in the room we never go in. (laughs) I would cry if those got ruined. You know, I really, that would be really hard for me. Just sentimentally, you know.
0: Do you have a favorite room in the house? Like, is there a spot or a place that like really brings you peace?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, this room definitely. I really love this office. It's very peaceful. You can't see it, but I have these huge like, sort of French windows, you know, almost like floor to ceiling. So I just look out at these big, beautiful trees and it's a really pretty street, very quiet. And then the, the sort of great room where you where you walk in because it's got high ceilings and I just kind of sit there and like, I'm a very, very claustrophobic person. It's part of why I had to leave New York, honestly. And I think that when I sit in that room and there's, I never turn lights on. It's like just natural light. It's just light. It's like goes back to that dreamlike feeling. And that's sort of how I, I need to feel in my home and in my space. And I I definitely, it affects my whole being if I start to feel kind of like enclosed. So I'd rather live in the tiniest house as long as there's windows.
0: It's so interesting that that was what shaped your aesthetic because it makes total sense when I look back at, you know, just the four homes that I, I've known you to be in so far they had a light was the biggest quality everything was ethereal and soft and bright everything was open you taught me that contemporary could be warm which I thought was so interesting you know you're super glamorous and we wanted chrome and glass and we wanted this and we wanted things with the sheen but it could still be warm and comfortable which I loved
2: I think that's the the most important thing because I, I think the biggest sort of design that I have followed over the last couple of homes I've lived in is that I really prefer the exteriors to be very traditional. And that sort of like European feeling, every house I've lived in makes me feel like I'm in Europe um, because don't we all just want to feel like we're in Europe at all times, right?
0: All the time. (laughs) All the
2: time. And, um, but the insides, like, it's funny. I want them to have moldings and I want all the walls to be white. But then I want the furniture to be that very kind of 70s, funky, you know, yeah, very like mid-century vibe.
0: I love that. Can I ask you, you know, considering you know everything that you accomplish like in a day between the curator, the Rachel Zoe report, climbing in heels, being a mother, how do you recenter? You know, I've obviously going through the same thing now, which is so crazy. But, you know, is it an hour to meditate or is a cup of coffee or like, like a ritualistic touchstone that grounds you like with all of the chaos that you've got going on?
2: I will be honest. Like, it's funny because I think with my kids, it's sort of like, weirdly, they ground me. I think because my life is so insane that even though they're insane in their own way, like they come home and like, they've been at school all day and they're bottled up and they have to be all like well-behaved and still. And then they come home and I turn around and like Kaius has no pants on and jumping all over the place. And Skylar's like, I don't know, God knows, like throwing a basketball. Like I it just, it's like chaos and it's so loud. And then I kind of like need to do that for a while. And then literally I come into this room, um, my office, and I literally just sit on that couch that you got me. And I literally just like will disappear out of the chaos for like, even if it's 10 minutes, because I really, if the kids are home and awake, I'm only going to get 10 minutes alone because they're going to find me. Like in within 60 seconds, someone is going, mom, mom, you left us. Where are you? So, but yeah, seriously, when I'm about to kind of lose it a little, I just kind of peace out and come into this room and hope no one will find me for like 10, 20 minutes.
0: Do you still get up super early or do you get up regular now?
2: Oh, I get up really early. I get up at six every day. I mean, it's just like, it's really hard right now though. I think the biggest problem is, you know, because you've known me for a hundred years, I go to sleep really late. So I think people that jump out of bed at six are the ones that like go to bed at like nine and 10, right? But I don't, I go to bed at like one.
0: I get up at 4.30.
2: See, that's like, see, 4.30. No, it's
0: just, it's like, for whatever reason, it's like the one time I'm alone. I don't have to listen to Nate. I don't have to answer questions for him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just quiet.
2: He has so many questions.
0: (laughs) Can you believe you were the orchestrator for my love story?
2: I actually think, Jer, funny enough, I thought you were going to ask me what is the thing that I'm most proud of in my career. And I was literally going to say that I introduced you and Nate. (laughs) Uh, No, it's so sweet. Because I look at your happy love story life with like Poppy and Oscar and Nate. And it's like, I can't explain the feeling that it gives me. It's like, I don't mean to like get sappy about it, but it just, I literally like it was two days ago. Remember you walking into my office while I was on the phone with Nate and you were like, you were like Nate Burkus. You were like, if I met him, I would, I would literally die.
0: Yeah. Don't tell him that. Okay. Let's just let him know. Well, let no, it- I'm
2: going to make you feel better. Cause he's going to get <laughs> mad at me now when I say this, cause then I said to Nate, Nate, you have to meet Jeremiah. You have to meet him. I've met like the younger version of you. Yeah. <laughs> I realized when I said that, that was the rudest freaking thing. Like Nate should hate me for like ever. He got really pissed by the way. Cause yeah, I was I like, remind if him someone every day, said that true. to me, I'd be really mad. I'd be really mad if someone said that to me.
0: He was dating somebody, but you were, you said if he was single, you guys would be in love. And I was like, great. That sounds lovely. Meanwhile, I thought I was going to be alone forever. So I was like, sure. Whatever. Didn't we all?
2: I mean, yeah, I feel like I we all like, like, did.
0: Um, but that was it.
2: <laughs> but you are so similar. That was the thing. It was sort of like. You have very different aesthetics, honestly, but it but it really works. You know, it really works. And I just you remind me you're both sarcastic, you're both hilariously funny. Um, and and you have the same so many of the same passions. And it just made so much sense on so many levels. But like the fact that it happened and you have all these kids and live this fairy tale life and you working so much, it's just like the greatest thing. I feel like this like. Eighty-five-year-old grandmother, like looking down, like oh my god, this just is- no.
0: big sister, how's that? <laughs> si- twin sister, now. I hundred percent.
2: We're forty. We're hitting forty. When's our birthday soon?
0: Well, I have still have three years left until forty.
2: I'll, I'm just so. gonna <laughs> stay here. I'm just gonna stay
0: here. <laughs> okay, you said I'll I'm gonna meet stay you. here. I'm
2: not moving.
0: What does home mean to you now? Is there like a specific memory or something that always makes you think of home?
2: Home to me now is so different than what home to me was. So I think it's the thing that people that don't know me really don't know about me. I'm a very like attached homesick kind of person, meaning like I need my safe space. I need my safe place. I need my safe people. And I have two very attached kids. And I, it, it's funny because everyone's like, well, how do you deal with that? I'm like, well, I was one. So I really, really understand the psychology of that. And as someone who was glued to my parents forever, when I was 19, I finally kind of got rid of that sort of pit in my stomach when I was away from my family. And so home for me was wherever my parents were, and wherever my sister was, specifically, I think for me, home really was always, and my parents always created a home that was a happy place. You know, there was like, I grew up so blessed. And I, it's funny, I only like appreciate it now when I explain to my kids that it's not a given that everybody is as loved as you are, just so you understand
0: that. I say that too. You
2: know, because I don't think that kids that grow up love, because I say that because I didn't realize it until I was an adult, that that wasn't a given. And so I don't think you can overlove your kids. And I think that you create that safe space for kids. So I think in terms of like in the physical sense, certainly the house I grew up in, and then my parents homes in you know out at the beach in the hamptons just became our happiest place because it was where all of us were. It was where like my sister and her kids were and me and then my kids were and then Roger and like everyone came to those homes to have 20 person dinners and lie around all Sunday morning and just never leave the house. And so I think to me that's really what home is and and now literally, wherever I am with Roger and my two boys is home. And, and, and really, I know it sounds so sappy and cliche, but like- It doesn't
0: to me. I love it.
2: I think what we really have realized over the last, I would say since the kids are a little bit older, like probably the last four years, five years, we really, just the four of us is how we're happiest, you know? really like no one in between
0: it's kind of wild right you realize that you've got this like bubble it's so funny oscar was saying something to me he goes oh dad you say i love you all day long and i remember thinking to myself what does that feel like i mean because i didn't hear that so i was like you know it's just wild to me so I, i love that If we can now, let's take a look into your future. In terms of space and home or even mindset, like what do you imagine is the most imperative thing for Rachel?
2: Honestly, I think weirdly like peace, you know, like as long as I can keep helping people, motivating people, inspiring people, doing things that mean something to people, I'm happy, right? And so I think to the extent that I can keep being a really hands-on mom, a good wife to some extent, because, you know, Raj doesn't even. much. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, <laughs> we're yeah. 31 years in. Um, but I think to continue to try and be that example for my kids, and right now my kids are such good boys, and they're such good people. And for me, I think the ultimate accomplishment would be, like, if I can get them to adults, being that way, and not part of my French. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this, but yeah. if I don't get up, I will be really happy. And so, if I can continue to keep my brand out there, my brand strong, and continue to sort of do what I love, and still like be a good example for my kids, and they turn out well, I think I think we're good. I think I think I think that's the win for me.
0: Now that we're winding down from some thoughtful and really intriguing insight into the life and mind of Rachel Zoe, I want to bring the energy in for something a bit more intimate. At Ideas of Order, we have a lot to say, obviously, around the concept of comfort and growth, both in the home and in life. For this little fireside tête-à-tête, it's just you and me and a few quick-fire questions to dig a little deeper. The question is, are you ready? Cut. Okay, what has home taught you?
2: Warmth. Happiness, safety, peace.
0: What is the most surprising space you've ever loved? The kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Genius. The
2: kitchen, honestly. Because it's not my favorite room in the aesthetics of it. It's just my favorite room because it's just the gathering.
0: And when do you feel most at home?
2: Probably at night, before bed, in like a bathrobe that's 10 times the size of me. (laughs) (laughs) With lots of jewelry on,
0: obviously. Only person I know this. (laughs) And a
2: full cat eye.
0: Sleeps in jewelry and a cat eye. (laughs) Live for it. I want to thank Rachel one more time for joining me here and allowing us to collectively discover a little insight on what home means to her. You're perfect. I miss (laughs) you so much. I'm thrilled. I walked into your life and I'm more thrilled to still have you in my life. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for chatting with me.
2: I love you madly, and I remember the day you walked into my life, and I always will. I love you. I love you, too.
0: When I look back on my life, I'm always reminding myself to see through the lens of humor and empathy. Something I know now isn't necessarily something I knew then. And every stage of my evolution has mattered. Through the many seasons and shifts... Here's to embracing the resilience we have while trying and acknowledging the privilege of experiencing. Listen, it all starts somewhere. You've got to trust the questions that you have. You really never know where they're going to lead you. For more Ideas of Order, please visit ideasoforder.com or californiaclosets.com. Guys, I'm Jeremiah Brent, and thank you again for being here today. We'll see you again soon.
2: Are we like Kelly and Ryan?
0: Honestly, let's do it. There's no way we can't cuss and wear black. <laughs> so we're going to have to do a late night.
2: Rachel and Cher.
0: Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com.
1: Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for joining me today as we looked at the power of design. Tune in next week as we continue our exploration of the podcast universe. If you missed any part of today's show or wish to hear it again, you can listen online wherever you access your favorite podcasts. Or go to 1059theregion.com and click on Discovery under our podcast tab. Until next time. Discovery